Welcome to Proven Improbable. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson, and joining us today is Damon Mazik. Damon, thank you for joining us. Hey, what's going on, Maurice? Thanks for having me. You know, for the listeners, Damon, uh, they may not be aware, but you're the man behind the scenes. You're the one that does all the editing and production on the videos and uh, making sure we have the best sound clarity that we can possibly have for our interviews. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, indeed, man. It's a pleasure. You know, Damon, we've had a number of questions from our uh, subscribers, and uh, today's show is going to be dedicated to the subscribers. Let's get into some of the questions that they have for us. Indeed, indeed. So, subscribers, it is all about you guys. So, uh, remember, you can always send your questions to us here at uh, Proven Improbable at gmail.com. Again, that's proven and probable at gmail.com. Uh, we'll go ahead and uh, start with the first question. It actually is coming from Jonathan Camacho, and he's from Moreno Valley, California. He asks, can you explain the silver cheat sheet? Yes, the silver cheat sheet was basically what my beginnings in silver investing. There were a lot of terms that I was not familiar with, and I figured if I'm having that challenge then probably you, a fellow investor, would have those same challenges. So the silver cheat sheet just breaks down the terms and the formulas that are used for silver investors. I don't care where you make your purchases. Make sure, specifically if you're new to silver investing, that you take a look at this. Again, it breaks down each formula, specifically for junk silver, uh, bullion, sterling. It breaks it all down for you. So if you're doing an online purchase or you're dealing with a local coin dealer, make sure you take the formula in with you so you can speak intelligently upon your investment decisions. Awesome. Okay. There you go. All right. And the next question uh, comes from uh, Aston Coleman. He is out of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, it says, I've been following your work for years. I noticed that your overall focus shifted from investing in silver bullion to precious metals mining. What factors led to your decision? Well, thank you for the question. Uh, that is correct. My passion has always been in precious metals and more specifically in silver. Um, the, the, the bifurcation more or less came where as I learned more about investing, specifically in the natural resource space, I realized that the mining companies serve a certain, certain, uh, uh, portion of my portfolio. And, uh, it made sense because you can really leverage your, your, potential with mining companies, specifically the junior mining companies, and we'll probably get into that a little bit later. But I always advocate first, own the bullion, whether it be gold, silver, and platinum or palladium. And then as you uh, have satisfied your positions in those, then consider looking at the mining companies. But first, always secure a position in your metals. All right. Indeed. All right. Good stuff. Okay, next question uh, comes from Silverstacker23. Uh, it says, why should someone invest in a mining company? Well, it kind of goes along with the question we just had before. Mining companies give you leverage. And the numbers that you can, or returns, I should say, that you can receive from investing in the mining companies. And it has to be, again, you must do your due diligence uh, when uh, we're talking about mining companies and investing in them. But the returns that you can make on them are phenomenal. And it doesn't have to deal with a, uh, a currency crisis. It can just deal with a deposit that is uh, phenomenal in grade and in size. And it is being arbitraged, uh, being bought essentially by another company. Uh, and, and let me break that down if I may. Mm -hmm. So in mining, when I first started my investment in, into these natural resource companies, I thought a mining company just finds something in the ground and they just bring it out. And that's not the case. What essentially starts the, the process is you have either prospectors um, 
or you have exploration and development companies. So the exploration companies come in and they, they find the deposit. Then you have another company that will buy them out essentially, mm -hmm. and they will develop the mine, the infrastructure. Okay. And then you have the mining company who comes in and basically takes out the developing company. Now, sometimes there are companies that make that make the bifurcation or the, 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 the consolidation, I should say, from exploration to developing. But just to give you an overall view, that's the, the, the thesis behind it. Okay. Good stuff. All right. Thank you for that question. Uh, on to our next one, which comes from our good friend Kurt Thomas out of uh, Orangeburg, South Carolina. What's going on, Kurt? Uh, he asks, when preparing for the future of global economics, what should be the ratio of precious metals to currency? Um, I guess he's asking, uh, so like what percentage of your uh, of your uh, portfolio should be in uh, precious metals mining or in currency and that kind of thing. So if you can kind of give a, a figure for that or something that we can go by with that. Now, each situation for each individual is unique and, and, and it merits a, a long discussion. Mm -hmm. But I would say in general, any financial planner that is worth their merit will tell you and advise you and recommend you that you have at least – and I repeat, at least 10% in precious metals, 10% minimum. Um, and there's nothing wrong with having currency. Keep in mind that currency is used for day-to-day -day transactions, but every currency, not most, every currency does go to a value of zero. So the precious metals, gold and silver, and in some cases, platinum, palladium, it serves as that store of value for you. It's that insurance. You don't want to use it, but you're sure you sure are glad when you do have it. Mm -hmm. And and if I can add on to that, for someone who's new into precious metals and they understand, uh, they they see the light at the end of the tunnel per se. They're they're now educated on it a little bit and they get excited, but they treat it like a stock. So they buy it in silver, gold, whatever the, it is that they're purchasing. The price goes down, and I and they they sell. And I just advocate that you please make sure you do your due diligence before you invest in anything. But in saying that, I measure my savings, I would say, in weight, meaning I don't look at the price of silver or gold per se. I look at how much weight, how many ounces I have. That is my goal because I do realize that the price fluctuates. And so I've had people that have kind of uh, been antagonists and what they'll say is, well, the price of silver has gone down. What do you have to say about that? And my response is I'm happy because I can go and buy more today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and because I fundamentally understand why I need to have it. The same with gold, silver, platinum, or palladium. Mm -hmm. Now, let's reverse that. If one of those prices goes up, guess what happens? I'm happy mm -hmm. again because my 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 net worth has increased. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't – I want to make sure we're clear on this. You must understand, um, um, Kurt Thomas, that what you must do is measure it in weight – a and 10% minimum. I personally am more aggressive, but at a minimum, again, any financial planner that is worth their merit should tell you and advise you and recommend to you 10%. And that's just not my, my opinion. You know, I've had an opportunity to uh, you know interview some of the biggest names in the natural resource space. You take a look at Rick Rule, uh, interview we did with him, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and we've done we've done a number of interviews with him actually. Yes. Um, and he he's said it, and I've talked to him in private, and he's I've seen him speak many times, uh, three times last year uh, in St. Peters, Petersburg, Florida, uh, Las Vegas, and Vancouver, and and uh, he, he's he's you know that he that is is something that he lives by, and uh, yeah, I believe he spoke about uh, about having precious metals as a, almost like uh, insurance. Exactly. Yes. Okay. 
Now, but there's but the, another way to look at it as well, uh, Kurt, is that they have speculative aspirations. So yes, meaning that I do want them to go up. I want to purchase as many as I can right now while the prices are depressed and suppressed. But again, for insurance purposes, that's what it's there for. Mm -hmm. Speculative aspirations that the prices will significantly increase due to what is going on with our monetary policy. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Kurt, for that question. That was really good. All right. Moving right along. Uh, we have another uh, question coming from Jamal Frank. He's in Alaska. Says, I'm currently serving in the military. What are your thoughts on the thrift savings plan or the TSP? Okay, great question. Um, for those that aren't aware, the thrift savings plan, TSP, is for military members or government employees. And it is basically a 401k, which is a defined contribution pension plan, as well as an IRA. Uh, the difference is, is that a 401k and an IRA, uh, they mirror one another and it is sponsored by your employer. So your employer, through relationships that they have established with a financial institution, they determine what you get to invest in for your retirement. Now, the pros and cons to it are your are, this really is your decision because there's no bad investments per se. Uh, it's really the or risky investments, I should say. There are investors that are risky because they don't know what they're doing. So you could do great in your 401k or TSP, but the decision is up to you. Now, personally. I don't like them, and here's why, for a number of reasons. Number one, with a TSP or 401k, uh, the better your portfolio does, you move into a new tax bracket because these are tax-deferred instruments. Mm -hmm. So if your investments do great, you get taxed more. Okay. Now, conversely, uh, Warren Buffett is the greatest investor in the stock market of all time. With that being said, Warren Buffett has never owned a mutual fund. For those that own a TSP or a 401k, do you own a mutual fund? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is yes, did you ask to the person that was selling you the, the instruments, what could you teach Warren Buffett? Because he's never owned one. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's very important to understand. And, and I'm not yeah. trying to make fun or insult anyone in the profession, but understand that you're being sold, not really given a sold a product and find out why you're being sold that product, I should say. Is it based right. off of fundamentals or is it because you're going to get a commission out of it? Uh -huh. okay. And that's one of the things I like about our program is we're not selling anything. Mm -hmm. So we advocate mining companies. We advocate bullion, but we don't receive any type of monetary compensation in doing so. Right. Now, and, yeah. and to follow up a little further on that, um, the reason Warren Buffett does not invest in mutual funds is quite simple. 95% of all mutual funds essentially do good if there is a bull market, which means that the stock market is going up. But the stock market can go sideways and it can go down. So if it can go in three directions, you essentially have a 66% chance of losing. Right. Pretty simple math. Mm -hmm. That's why Warren Buffett doesn't invest in them. Okay. Um, but the other part is as well is if the market does go in that 66% direction, then guess what happens to your your uh, your your pension? You have nothing to retire on. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, the caveat to it is an IRA. And if you did have a 401k or if you did have a TSP and you're no longer with that employer, then you can do a self-directed IRA, which is the, the uh, conversation we have with Brandon Green from Sprott Money. Mm -hmm. So here, uh, depending if it's uh, if, you're, if you're bringing that uh, 401k or TSP, if you're bringing that now to a self-directed IRA, then yes, there still are tax implications. Okay. 
But you get to determine what goes in there. You can actually have physical bullion. You can actually invest in different companies. Uh, and another thing about the TSP and the 401k is they also invest in government bonds. And I'm not a strong advocate of, of government bonds because the root word for bond is bondage. Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing is, is you're becoming a creditor to somebody who owes everyone in town <laughs> <laughs> with a debased currency as well when he, right. they pay you back. So that's not a very prudent uh, uh, decision, uh, financial decision I would make with a TSP or 401k. And, and you know, we talk about the the uh, uh, the guests that we have on our shows. Mm-hmm. Offline, when I have discussions with them, none of their clients ever ask about a 401k or a TSP. Right. And these are the the these are the the one percenters that we hear about. Okay. <laughs> they are the people we interview. They're part of that group, and the, and then of course the their clients are part of that group. Mm-hmm. So. It would behoove you then to consider why is it they don't consider those and why do they consider the IRA and or the self-directed IRA and owning bullion mm-hmm. or proxies to the bullion. So great question. Thank you, Jamal. You know, Jamal, I, I have a uh, he and I have a pretty good relationship. He's in Alaska now. And uh, over the years, we've uh, really had a good, strong bond. It, it'd be nice to see if we can get him on the show one day, uh, one day and uh, discuss this a little bit further and if he had any more uh, specific questions for us. So thank you, Jamal. All right, Jamal, you heard that. You heard it here first. So, all right. Uh, thanks for that question. All right. And uh, I guess the last question, uh, and actually this question is very fitting for what's going on currently as we're uh, in the middle of a political uh, political race here uh, for the White House. Uh, it's, last question comes from Brian Smith out of Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, he asked, why does the common American voter only consider Democrat or Republican candidates when voting? Isn't it time that a third party candidate be considered? Uh, the answer is yes, it is time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but let's delve into this a little bit further. Uh, Brian, thank you for asking the question. Number one, let's look at the Constitution. And Brian, I'd ask you to ask your fellow friends and people that you just in, in, in general, how often do you hear people A, articulate the Constitution or even discuss it in their daily activities? The answer is is slim to none. Right. And during this time, everyone gets emotional about politics, and uh, but they never really – articulate the Constitution in their thoughts. What they do is they um, have certain agendas and who they want to vote for based off of social programs. And that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is, is we are selling our country. Whoever, in other words, we're, we're, who, you have to buy my vote. Mm-hmm. It's a certain interest that I have and you have to buy it. If you're not for this certain program, then I'm not going to vote for you. Right. And that's truly unfortunate. But let's look at the Constitution because I brought it up. So in the Constitution, the freedom of press is there. Well, we talk about news programs. Just break that down for a second. The news programs program you. And what they do is they program you by constantly feeding you information. And the information they feed you is that there's only two parties, which is incorrect. There's more than two parties. Unfortunately, when they bring in a third party, they make that third party seem ridiculous, uh, extreme, and uh, they brush them off. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, you don't gain much attraction to those, you know, someone who who doesn't really recognize that, hey, there's more than one or two parties. <laughs> right. They won't even look at that direction. And so, again, if you don't, if you have an ignorant population, I can certainly understand why people don't consider that. You know, I'm a libertarian. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't even tell you right now who's running as a libertarian. And even if they did, they wouldn't even have a chance because mm-hmm. – the platform isn't even there for them to speak and advocate their positions. But I assure you, 
if someone had an opportunity to actually not had an opportunity, but seek the information, most of them will probably uh, second guess or really reconsider strongly their political views as they are right now, whether it be Democrat or Republican. Mm-hmm. But and, and Brian, I add one more piece here. I'm not going to mention the politician, but I was happened to be watching a debate the other night, and one of the politicians interrupted one of the other politicians by stating, "The last time I checked, we were a democracy." <laughs> and I paused and I said, "Wait a minute." And I know the news anchor at least is going to interject here. Mm-hmm. Well, someone in the audience would say something, and what, what should they have said? We are <laughs> we're a republic. We're a republic, exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, Damon, what's unique is is, is you and I both are, are mentioning this right now. You and I weren't even born in the United States. That is correct. You know, if you would share with the audience, where were you born? I was born in Nuremberg, Germany. And I was born in Augsburg, Germany. Mm-hmm. Now, it's funny that two individuals that weren't even born in the United States, and I wasn't even born a U.S. citizen, I can come in and articulate the Constitution better than my fellow citizens. Mm-hmm. And it right. frustrates the dickens out of me. But unfortunately, um, that's where we are. Yeah. And it's our responsibility, as well as yours, Brian, to make people aware what other options there are. And I always try to give empirical evidence. I use the Constitution as my guide, and I show people. You know, one of the things in the Constitution, if you do a PDF search, let's look up certain words. Federal Reserve, mm-hmm. IRS, Medicare, Medicare, Medicaid, I'm sorry, uh, Social Security. Those words aren't in there. Mm-hmm. How about the American dream? It's not in there. Right. But this is what people vote on, and it's not even in the Constitution. Yeah. You know, the, the the American dream, the theme in the Constitution is liberty. It's freedom. Right. It's, home ownership is not mentioned in there. But this is what the populace, this is what they vote on. So they vote off of what are you going to do for me from a, from a, uh, from a program standpoint. And, uh, it, and then it is, it's, it's a breakdown in the theme of liberty, the Constitution, which right. is really unfortunate. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, in the uh, last uh, political race <laughs> in, in our recent uh, recent history, uh, that actually did happen. There was a, uh, a uh, third party candidate who uh, actually had some really great ideas and, uh, and was actually doing very well in the polls. And every time I saw them on the news, they kind of just mentioned that the person was doing very well and then they'd skip on over to the uh, Democratic or Republican <laughs> candidates. <laughs> well, you're referring to Ron Paul. He was That's correct. Yes. He- Looking at it, he looked as if he ran on a third party uh, ticket, but he actually ran for the Republican nomination. Right, right. But but you're correct. Uh, Ron Paul did so much. Uh, unfortunately, his son wasn't able to really carry the torch uh, this go around, and maybe next time he will. But uh, what Ron Paul really did, I think, was more important, not during the debates, mm-hmm. is actually in his actions throughout his tenure. Yes. A, a good one in, in case in point here. And it still ties to what we're discussing here, Brian. Uh, it, it still kind of st- sticks with your question here. Is when you look at Ron Paul, I remember in 2011 when the Casey Anthony trial was going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to to make light of a situation where a young girl lost her life. That is, please don't 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 misconstrue my words here. Yeah. But you have a, an event that occurred in Florida, and it was nationalized in the news. Mm-hmm. Now those events occur locally, in every state, unfortunately, often. Mm-hmm. But the media has you focused on this event right. and talking. And, and then after that, then they have these lawyers and uh, everyone else, these uh, uh, former police officers. Then they talk on it for an hour yeah. and people get engrossed in this. Mm-hmm. Well, while that is going on, I recall that uh, it was in June 2011 
on C-SPAN, and it's and it actually this goes back to a, a video you and I did. What is money? Mm-hmm. And we'll try to get that on uh, to proven improbable here in the near future. Yes. But in that, we gave a link, and the link goes to uh, what I'm referring to here is Ron Paul got the Federal Reserve to admit that they have no gold, A, and they haven't had gold since 1934. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, I've shown that video to some people. Yeah. Some people saw it and were like, whoa. And some people were like, well, what's that mean? Mm-hmm. And that one, and that was actually most of the responses I received. Yeah. And when I, when I received that response or the nonverbals of, well, I don't get it. What's, why is that important to me? That lets that 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 there's your your answer is that we have an ignorant population. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's truly unfortunate. But uh, yeah. you you a great question though. And the reason it's a great question, if I may add it into this, is that politics and economics they're tied together. Yes. And uh, geopolitical events, not just ours, which are germane right now here to the United States, but anything that goes on in the world, it affects us because we're a global uh, we're a global economy. So great question. Indeed, indeed. Well, there you have it. There you have it. So thanks for that question again, Brian. And uh, and all uh, listeners and uh, subscribers, we'd really love to hear from you often. Uh, remember, you can always send your questions or your comments uh, to provenandprobable at gmail.com. Again, that's provenandprobable at gmail.com. And uh, we will hopefully be able to get your questions on the air on the show. And uh, possibly some of you, we may be able to have you call in and uh, actually ask your questions uh, at that time so we can address you live. That'd be great. Well, thank you. And before we leave, I'd like to just give a thank you out uh, to two individuals in particular, uh, Tacoa De Silva of uh, Sprott U.S. Holdings and also Albert Liu of the Power and Market Report. Uh, they've uh, behind the scenes have been uh, mentoring me and uh, inspiring me. So I really want to say thank you to both of them. And uh, Damon, thank you again as well for coming on today's show. And uh, let's do some more episodes here. Indeed, man. I'm always ready. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on this time, uh, Maurice. Uh, definitely look forward to doing this again soon. Okay, thank you. Yes, sir. Take care of yourself, man. All right, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. The information presented on Proven Improbable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker.